Hello and welcome to another episode of Football Revisited. Burke is with me this week. How are you, Burke? Doing well? Yeah, doing good. Thanks, man. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Rob is on with us this week as he is ill, which is no great surprise. And we also welcome back Theo Sims, who was absent last week after becoming Football Revisited's first vaccine recipient. No, Sims, first question. How are you after the experience? And without going into too much graphic detail, how was the whole experience for you? That's fair, though. thank you. Good to be back, lad. Good to be back. Um, yes, I'm feeling much better now, thank you. Um, I was quite surprised at the side effects, not gonna lie. They caught me off guard. But uh, I'd say if you imagine your worst ever hangover, coupled with the worst you've ever felt after playing rugby the day before, that's where you're kind of at for what you know. Yeah. I know one of those two things that mentioned i can feel it and somebody annoyingly in your face singing careless whispers <laughs> on an endless loop in a car <laughs> what i would say about burke is that i've seen his hangovers so i i think his words <laughs> are probably as bad as it gets anyway yeah oh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> face the job let's see with that yeah well i'm glad you're feeling well and hopefully we'll all get vaccinated in the near future but We'll see. Right, moving swiftly on. The whole podcast this week is going to have an international feel as we are in the middle of an international window. Um, and this is good timing, as Sims brought up in the WhatsApp group, that he's seen something that, I don't know, he, before we came on, it sounds like he changed his mind. So it was good or bad. So we'll see. Um, as you said in the WhatsApp, the lawyers are ready. So the floor is yours, my friend. Go for it. Uh, no, I think what it was. Obviously, the World Cup's in Qatar, isn't it? And so, over the well, over because the, they've started you now the qualification period, they've not. I've seen you now all these players come out before games and having this like silent protest. I know Norway have done one, um, Germany have done one. So when I first saw it, I <laughs> I was like, there was no logical reason why it annoyed me, <laughs> but it was annoying me. It wasn't the fact that they were doing it; it was the fact that they're doing it now. When it's like, where, what are we, 2022, I think the World Cup is. So, you know, literally less than a, well, a year and a bit away. Yeah. So my, I was just, an, I was like, well, why, why on earth are they mourning now? And for the record, I actually fully agree with what they're talking about. But my argument has always been, well, one, why would you not have a go at your own FA? Because where have they been? Because this World Cup, we've known this there for, I, I think it was eight, nine years since we, they've known. Something like that, yeah. And then, so why aren't you taking it up to your own FA? And also, if you're that strongly about it, if you feel that strongly, if all the players came together, then they could have made that change. It's too late in the day now to make a change. Like, I don't understand what, what's the best case scenario. The second thing is, they're not even helping the workers anyway, because the stadiums are built now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, the timing yeah. of it doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, and, and so I, I just found it like such an empty gesture, and it really woke me up. However, I've completely flipped my uh, opinion on it now. So, there we are. There we are. Yeah. So, what is your current opinion? Well, at the time, it was, I, it rang me up, because I was just like, well, you know, what are they doing? They're just doing it for, for the sake of it. However, I am a big fan of footballers kind of taking a political stance when they feel it's right to. I think they should be empowered to do that kind of thing. So... On that basis, I, I don't feel as if I can have a go with them, really. I think, yeah, fair play to them. Um, but I would, I, I, would, I would question, though, and I really say what you both feel. Why, 
why not apply pressure on the FAs? And also, yeah. where was this pressure? Because for me, it's not good enough to say, oh, well, you know, we were just always looking at the next tournament. And it was like, what do you expect to get from here now? Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it because, like, what Sim's saying is spot on in terms of like the problems in Qatar are not new problems. They're things that have been there from day one when the World Cup was announced about the human rights record and uh, the working conditions out there, and then well, number of deaths I've seen, uh, like the workers' deaths, building stadiums, is insane. And yeah, I would question what has been done because there's always there's always been reports. I remember just scrolling on Facebook and I tend to now and again see a report about the conditions in Qatar. But that's all there is. There's no extra kind of scrutiny on it until now. And like Sim said, they're not going to do anything about it now because the work has basically been done. So I don't know what can be done. Um, I wouldn't question the players as much. I would question the FAs. But yeah, it's up to the players to be questioning that no, but it would was up to them to do that in the first place too. Yeah, th- for me it, it's a real tough one because really there's no real middle ground. You can't really do anything to affect change unless you just kind of what they're doing with this media stuff now. Have you read Garth Bale that said I he'll jump in on the boycott if everyone jumps off social media? So it's the same thing. You either pull all your cards in, pull your chips in, go all in, or you just carry on the way you go in and go, you know, we're not politicians, we're just playing football, leave it that. I don't see where the middle ground is for footballers and really the FA as well, because at the end of the day, World Cups and Euros make money and FAs need money because they don't have private investors involved. So how else are they going to make money if they boycott? Because you could say the same thing about the World Cup in Russia, same sort of chat. Different, different topics now, LGBT, all that. So, yeah, the timing seems a bit weird. Seems a bit too late. They should have done it as soon as that. Uh, Seb Blatter showed Qatar has won the rights for the World Cup. So, yeah. yeah, it feels a bit of a... I'm trying to find the right word. It, it, somebody, somebody's told them to do it, and they've got, yeah, okay, lip service, let's just do it. Yeah, the time was, was either, like you said, when it was first announced, or yeah. secondly, when it was announced and when FIFA officials were found guilty of taking bribes for that tournament. Yeah. So there's two opportunities there to react, and nobody did. And now a year out, now there's a reaction, and it is probably too little too late. But the reaction, although it's from the players, like like Sim said again, it's, the FAs made the call for that, didn't they? And FIFA made the call for that. Um so just confirms it, my understanding, it's the players are having to go to FIFA themselves as an organisation for... Or yeah, the guitar itself. This is it, though. Like, because to, I, I, to clarify, I actually, I, what they're actually saying is spot on. So, like, you know, like, if I remove the fact of what they're saying, because what, players is, what the players are saying in terms of what they're standing up for is something really noble and it's fair play mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. But, like, I think my argument... And the thing that annoyed me at the start was, like you said, if you were to ask those players now, right, what ideal world, what's the best case scenario? Like, what's the win look like for you? And then I think most of them would just say, oh, well, um, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think that's where I fall down. And because, like you said, I, I think what they're against is they're against the idea that it's going to Qatar. Yeah. 
Now, yeah. clearly, they're not going to change that now. Yeah. And also, they're against the idea that it's going to Qatar because of the work, the, the, the rights of the workers and because of the safety conditions. And it's like, hang on a sec, they've built the stadiums now. Yeah. Like, there's, there's hundreds of people who have died already. And, yeah. and I am, I'm, I'm, like, in fairness to players, I think it's, I think it's brilliant that they, because I think it needs to happen more. I think players need to take more responsibility. But my, my, my thing would be, well, one, I would probably be looking more at my own FA first. And I'd be asking questions in terms of what did we do as an FA or what did we do as a country, you know, you know, to stand up. And then two, it's like, once you know, when, once you feel like, okay, we've had an answer there and it's, yeah, I, I'm, I, I accept that answer. So, all right, what can we do next then? What can we, yeah. where can we apply the pressure next? For me, it just seems like, they were, like I think Brett used the word there, it's lip service. It's just, it's just, oh, okay, yeah. this looks great. Like I've seen, like the Norway one was the one I saw first of all. And I was like, does Haaland ha- really, is he that last? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. You wouldn't think, he's 20 years old. I wouldn't expect yeah. a 20 year old. He's going to play in his first World Cup. That's all he yeah. cares about. Because exactly. he's a winner, elite sportsman. That's why he yeah. cares about bigger stage. He's there. Exactly. And, and in a way, I don't blame him either. Because, you know, at the end of the day, this is something that... This is why you have FAs. Yeah. Like, this isn't something the players should even have to worry about, really. They should just be worried about turning up and doing their job. Yeah, exactly. And actually, on that point, thinking about the players' point of view, like you said about the timing, and I said about the timing of it, like, it's a different crop of players when it was first announced that it was Qatar. Totally yeah. different squad, wasn't it? So that squad back eight years ago, whenever it was announced, aren't gonna fight for Qatar because they're not gonna be the players who are playing. So they, because they do look after themselves. That's what players do. So it's not really up to the players. So I, that kind of justifies the timing of it because it's only now that the players, the current crop players, are thinking shit. That's gonna be me. I'm gonna be linked to the World Cup that caused, like Sim said, hundreds of deaths. That's probably the fight for some players. But I'd say the majority of players, like Sim said, are probably in the boat of, I'm playing a World Cup. And that's the number one. And in a way, that's how it should be. Like, the players should be thinking, right, I just, I just got to make sure my country gets there. And then I turn up and then we play, you know, I do my yeah. job. Because that is their job at the end of the day. And I think that's something that gets forgotten as well. Is football is a job for them. You know, it... It's not something they should be have to think about outside of. It's just I turn up on a Saturday or a Sunday or whenever, and I play, and after that I get paid. You know, there's, there are probably some footballers who don't even like football, but it's yeah. just a job. They just they're good at it. Yeah. Now, well, we've all seen the sports documentaries and stuff, and it whereby they employ so many people just so the players only focus on one thing, and that is turning yeah. up on Saturday yeah, afternoon. The Joe Hart thing, isn't it, from last week? Yeah. I mean, like. It's like the players are having all these social media people and stuff. It's just to take away from the take not to take away from the fact that their job is to play football. Yeah. But I think my, my main argument at the time, I was just like, Well, what is the point? Like what is the point now of just taking this stand when in reality nothing is gonna change? And also, you're not even actually making a stand because making a stand would be like, I will not go and play in Qatar if the World Cup is there. That is making a stand. What yeah. standing in front with a T-shirt on does, I'm not quite sure. However, since then, I think if once I get rid of the, what I did basically was isolate the fact of what they were talking about, because I may not agree with maybe the way they're doing it. Because I do agree with the point. That's another thing. Like, yeah. You see, like, I think 90% of people in the Western world 
you know I mean? would yeah. agree with yeah. it. That it's just not good enough. Yeah. However, it is good to see players taking charge and make you know empowering themselves, which which is what I've always said they need to do more of. So for that reason, crack on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, could, could you imagine at the times? Say it was twenty fifteen. Say that's when they won the bid. You you would need every single top. Let's say every, for argument's sake, every nation that's probably going to be there. So you know, your Germany's, Italy's, all these teams. Yeah, you know, you're going to need most of those players to go. No, that's that's not right. I'm no, that's bullshit. I'm not going. You need to sort this out. You need to change it. Do you know? And then, and then sorry, can I just just for that? Yeah. Sorry, just to ask you. Do you know what I would say about that though? Is it didn't need they did it didn't even need um, the players because surely like because I'm be funny it's been talked about since the since they drew that out and they announced it it has been talked about how on earth is Qatar gonna have a football World Cup yeah. then you have the whole like it's gonna be in the winter it's gonna be in our winter with like December time there's been yeah. so many issues along the way it's like what is really needed was the FAs come together and go do you know what this is like we we're changing so much here. yeah. Let alone the fact that there's some very questionable things going on. Yeah. yeah but, but what I would say to that is, is if you look behind the curtain, it, you know, I can imagine a lot of FAs, especially the ones in South America, the ones in Africa, um, in Asia, these other ones who haven't got the money. You know, we all know the stories, you know, the bribes, all that type of thing. You're probably sitting there going, well, if I tell my, my, my squad, my manager, my players, Right, this is bullshit. We got to boycott it. You know, if you if you, as soon as you take that stance, you, you, there's no going back. You know, you've burned a lot of bridges. So uh, many people have gone out in FIFA, but there's still a lot of people there who are, you know, let's say a bit dodgy. So I I, I can see why I'm not saying it's right, but I can see why a lot of FAs have gone. Ooh, you know, from our point of view, we we can't really. It's like in politics. It's like oh, I can't really say anything on this matter because one way I'm going to burn a bridge. Whereas players. Which I think has shown over recent times, especially with black players, like Tyrone Minks has come out to be very strong. There's been no negative feedback towards him, all positive, brilliant. So that's why I think players, it's not their obligation, but I think no. that's shown that, say, for instance, we could go, well, at the end of the day, where are the ones playing? You know, all these people on the FA boards, all right, fair, you run it, but at the end of the day, where are the, where are the events? Where are the people who are doing it and putting bums on seats and getting all the money? So, yeah, it's a tough one because you can't really tell the players to do these sorts of things because it's not on their job description. It's no. like us, us taking a job and going, oh, well, you need to do something completely different that's on your, your contract. <laughs> yeah. And um, you'd be going, well, no, I'm not doing that. It's not my job. So, yeah, it's um, it's, it's an entanglement and it, it's it's very complicated, I think. So, yeah, it's good that they're doing something, but what the answer is. Do you know but what I, I would say? Um, I think you've nailed it, Dan. As a Actually, as a podcast, we've always spoken about this from day one, from our first podcast. Um, we've been consistent oh, on it. <laughs> we've been consistent on it as well. Um, footballers don't realise the power they have yeah. as a union and as, as, as the actual footballer. Because as you said, they are the spectacle. They can say, people can say as much as they want about the clubs run this and the chairman do this and the, the Premier League and all this. Without the players, then nothing <laughs> happens. Yeah. And as a sport, they are so far behind. Like you look at, we always say with the American football model, yeah. players basically run half the league. Yeah. Because they've unionized and they've all come together. The pre- just footballers in general, 
do not understand, I don't think, it hasn't dawned on them how much power they actually hold if they were to come together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, they just look at their own, not, not in a selfish way or a negative way, but ultimately you look at your, yourself, you look at your club, your country, <coughs> excuse me, and you know, that's really all you care about. But like you say, like if I hope one day in our lifetime, there's a collective bargaining agreement between every single professional footballer in the world, or maybe not the world, maybe, maybe in Europe at least. And because, like you say, I think I think they're just scratching the surface of the power they actually have. You know, look at Tyra, you know, come back to Individually, Tyra they know the power. It's just as a collective, yeah. like Tim said, they're not they don't realize. taking advantage of that. And I think there's so many different stakes as well. So, for example, like, agents aren't necessarily out for their players' well-being in football as they would be maybe in other sports. You know, like the agent's got a good relation with the club, so maybe the club gets the better deal than the player. And like you said, and the difficulty is, in order for something like that to ever come to fruition, it would require a group of footballers to almost sacrifice their football career yeah. to be able to, because you have to do it from the inside. So you'd have to be a current player and in doing so you are sacrificing your own career because obviously, you know, these things don't just happen. And really, there's only one example of that and that's, I can't remember his first, the Bosman rule. You know, that guy, he yeah. wasn't very good, but you know, he still would have been paid to have a career, you know, even if it was a low, low level and he basically sacrificed himself and that's how we have, you know, free agency now to a point. Um, yeah, I, I hope there's a watershed moment I think eventually there will be, because I, I always say it, money in football keeps going up, but there's going to be a ceiling at some point. At some point, someone's going, no, we're not doing that, and then it's all going to have to change. Maybe it'll all change, but it's going to have to change to a point. So, yeah. Players have power, put it that way. <laughs> they do. So, they have lots of power. They just need to yeah. use it better. Uh, the thing is, it's like, well, you could, it's even now, I, I was reading earlier on about the Champions League. You know they want to change the Champions League, don't they? And you're talking about like a 10-game group stage. Yeah. Now, like, Liverpool are one of the main drivers of it. Well, I would be asking, hang on a sec, at the start of the season, we were saying there's too many games. Yeah. As a club, Liverpool were saying, there are too many games in the calendar. You can't keep these players. They're not machines. You can't keep them playing. So why are we pushing for that? Yeah. There's only one reason they're pushing for it. Because one, it'll, well, two reasons. One, it solidifies Liverpool as a top club on the inside, not from the outside. So, like, if something like this season happens where maybe things don't go to plan, they don't need to worry because they're already in this mega tournament. And two, as you said, but financially, this is just going to go through the roof. But as players, you sh- they should be turning around going, hang on a sec, 38 games a season in the league, you're now asking me to play, I don't know, say, say you're successful in a tournament. I, if it's a 10-group stage, I would have thought you're going to look at least 15 games, you know, at least. 12 no one else would probably be you know at least 15 yeah, 16, I think 15 conservative it's probably more than that yeah yeah. yeah. but if we say it was 15 mm. say you get you go win every cup but you say you go through to like the, the quarters most cups that's about 5 or 6 games there yeah it's and that's just your club you haven't yeah. got an international duty yet it's at least 70 plus isn't it? the thing is you, you don't see much many players come out and speak about actual football in matters like, you've seen an increase over the last few years on actual political matters, like Sims covered at the start. But in terms of actual big um, football discussions, uh, changes to tournaments, like we're on about now, 
I can't think of many footballers coming out and talking about it. But then you see players who have just retired. They come out and they've got plenty to say. And you're yeah. just thinking, where was this when you were in a position to yeah. get people on board to facilitate the change? Football, footballers aren't stupid. I, I think there's this misconception that footballers are just dull and they just play football. And they've got nothing about them. You know, you know Stephen Gerrard, he seems like an intelligent guy. Frank Lampard, I know he's quite a smart guy. You know, there's lots and lots of guys who've got very good ideas. And what I would say to them that is, for me, that's where the PFA falls down. Like, I, we don't know too much about them. You know, God and tell you, they're all our business. You know, 40 years at the top of that organization is, is, is a joke. And I'm, I'm glad it's changed. But, but even with that, you know, this new guy who's coming in now, you know, I, I don't really know who he is, but, you know, who am I to say he can't do the job? There's a big uproar now in there that he's going to be taken over because nobody really knows him. You know, he could come in now and absolutely you know, radicalise all, all the changes, make some great changes, and football's different going forward. So, yeah, there, there needs to be change. Players need a voice more on stuff. Footballing matters. Yeah. Because basically we're asking them to go, OK, do nothing, play football, and then jump to talk about, you know, um, work conditions in Qatar for a World Cup. Yeah. Well, hold on. Let, let's take a step back maybe and go, Let's talk about our domestic issues first, because there's plenty of them, especially yeah. in England. thing is, OK, so, we talk about, Virk was saying about the rules and stuff. There's a perfect example of the last 18 months. How many footballers have actually come out and said, I hate VAR, it is ruining the game? And I mean, not just subtly, you know, they've just come out and said it for exactly what it is. They yeah. can't. And the reason yeah. they can't is because they get fined straight away. So they, there's this idea in England, like, oh, there's a free press and everything. Like, I remember, do you remember Charlie Austin did an interview a few years ago right after the game? Part life. Fought, yeah, he just called the ref. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, you, you know, yeah, the ref had a poor game. But they say here, oh, you can't do that. It's, you know, bringing the game into the disrepute, I think, as well. And, yeah. But it's like, but really, that's what you want. This is what we want. We, we, you kind of, you want players to come and say exactly what they're thinking. However, when they do, as a society, we don't really like it because we like the idea that they're professional and that they toe the line. And But, you know, sometimes, because you love it when they win in, like John Hinder said, not one game at a time, which is, well, all the cliches come out. But sometimes you just want to say, oh, do you know what, we were absolutely crap. Yeah, shine light on the problem. Yeah. yeah. I think we were rubbish. A lot of them, like the Charlie Austin one and a lot of the, when man just come out and have a go VAR players, like in that after-match uh, interview, people kind of take as a token thing of, oh, they lost the game because of that. He's just emotional. And because they don't hear from the player for another three, four weeks until his next interview, yeah. it kind of gets forgotten about. I think, but you've spoken about this before, about people coming out and having an interview straight after the match because they're going to be emotional, going to say things they probably don't, haven't really thought through as much. And I think that's very a lot to do with it. I think if players were to come out calm, composed, I think yeah. that's why the Charlie Austin one was kind of ridiculed more then why, like, nobody actually changed anything because Charlie Austin said it. Yeah. We did. But if a committee got together and back to players coming together, if a group of players came together and put forward, like, an actual plan to yeah. the FA or to the Premier League, uh, speaking domestically now, mm. I think they'd have to listen. Yeah. Yeah, there's just there definitely... captains or the big yeah. international footballers, especially. Yeah. There's got, there's got to be, there's so many things that even guys like us who aren't, you know, we're not involved in the Premier League, anything. 
but we can see it from our own eyes. And a good, a good example of that was that the Luke Shaw thing, his interview after Chelsea Manu with that, all that handball thing. And he's saying, oh, Harry Maguire here, the ref say, if I yeah. give that, you know, all that type of thing. You, know, you never hear that in an interview. And another thing as well is, like with the Charlie Austin thing, it's more of a build-up. It's not an emotional reaction. Well, it is emotional, but it's not just like a flippant comment going, oh, you know, the ref costs, blah, blah. It's like they can't say things for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then something like that happens, and then it's like it all just yeah. comes out there. So, yeah, uh, yeah, there, there's so many problems in football. It's, it's crazy. In fairness, you know, this is more, this is almost on us as fans as well, though, because because we we say that I say we is in everyone else because this is like the general, and especially in Britain, I don't, I think Britain's you know pretty bad for it as well. But you, we say we want characters. And we say we want people who maybe don't take the game as seriously or maybe take it, do things outside of the game and you want to know them and you want better access and all this. However, as soon as it goes wrong or as soon as we think, oh, they've overstepped the line, yeah. they're happy to absolutely ridicule a player. They're yeah. absolutely ruin it. Now, and like, falls like, every years as well. Yeah. yeah, like Jesse Lingard. You can argue Jesse Lingard now gives you more access on social media than most footballers would. He shows his character. You know exactly what kind of bloke he is, but you know you you think you know there's a lot of videos about him, him being himself. However, as football fans, or maybe just because he falls out of form, then it's just like oh well, you know what's he doing? He just needs to put his head down. He's a pro, doesn't need to be doing that. So in a way, we, you've got to decide what do you want from your you know what you want from your footballers almost like what do we yeah. expect from them? Because we can't expect to have all the character and you know what and all exactly how they look. While then seeing them then be an ultra pro and down the line black, you know, like it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. Yeah, for, for me, football is getting a bit stale. You know, I know we're going off a bit here, but especially with like interviews. Remember, we all reacted when James Madison did that interview and he was so yeah, open, and, yeah, like just like a normal bloke talking about normal things. Um, it's just getting a bit stale at the moment, and yeah, it's, something needs to change, but. Yeah, there's lots of lots of issues. Um, be interesting to see kind of what Evans' reaction is when fans are back because we've all said at different points how much yeah. football kind of a bit more draining than it ever has been um, yeah. for me especially. And it's easy to put it down to fans about the current COVID situation, about how many games on TV. It'd be interesting. Hopefully it won't be too much longer before fans are back in, before maybe the schedule goes back to the way it was. To see if it yeah. does get back to the level. Yeah. And and going back full circle to the guitar thing. You know, I hate to say it, but once the tournament kicks off and fans are there, you know, Qatar is a proper rich country and you know they it will be you know spectacular. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, I think a lot of this stuff will just get lost and, and Harlan scores a hat trick in the first group stage game. Yeah, and yeah, he's gonna be he, you know, he's the prince of do of Qatar. <laughs> He's yeah. the happiest bloke around, isn't he? So he, yeah, the prince goes by a football club. I want to sign Haaland for <laughs> yeah. two hundred million, but yeah. Um, but no, do you know what? I think, but I think you're spot on. I think that is kind of, you know, almost like the issue I had first of all, because I don't even think it'll be come the tournament. It'll be the next international break. Yeah. Come the next international break, it'll just be like, oh, there's an international break. Let's go. And and like I I genuinely believe that I, because I don't. Because again, it comes to it. What what's a win look like? What does a win look like here? Like what changes are made where you go, 
I'm glad we did that. That was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, literally just a political. You know, is it just the stance is enough? Which, if it is, that's fair enough. It's it's not. It's not the stance. I, I, I say it again. It is lip service. You know, you either go all in and don't go, which I don't think anyone's going to do. Not well, not for the next few tournaments anyway. But what I would say, hopefully, you know, FIFA may have cleaned house. You know, hopefully, and you know, maybe we won't see these sort of countries, you know, Qatar, Russia, etc., get these sort of bids. Um, and it should just go to you know footballing countries or developing countries with good morals and ethics. Um, We'll see. We'll see. Um, I do have a couple of questions because Arsene Wenger has been in the news the last few weeks. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Obviously, he's working for FIFA in a. I don't actually know what his role is. I think he's trying to advise them on the future of football and yeah. make changes. Um, so I, I've taken out two of his main points, and I'll just ask you because it's to do with World Cups and Euros. So he's proposed to. So obviously, the World Cup and Euros happens every four years. So maybe two years, maybe. Um, so now he wants to change that. He wants to half it. So he wants the World Cup to be every two years and the Euros to be every two years. So in effect, it's there's a tournament every single year. Total non-starter. Can see some logic. Like it. I don't see. It's, Where are we? I, I, me, no. I, I like every two years um, with the tournament. Well, being Welsh, I like every fifty years. To be fair. Um, <laughs> World Cups, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it's um, not for me. I, I like having the four years between World Cup. Like yeah. that, feel, like it's, it's a no for me. It's like Olympics, yeah. It's yeah. that's the way yeah. it should be. Yeah. And like yeah, I think it's, a, it's if it's every year, we're gonna be back here talking about how stale the World Cup was this year. But oh, it's fine. We got the Euros now in a few few weeks, so yeah, uh, yeah. You you'll always be referring. Oh, do you remember that last World Cup? And then you'd be mixing up because all the time, every season, you got a tournament. Yeah. Nah, nah, I'm, I'm not, not for me. I'm out. Same as I assume you agree, but I, I, I strongly agree. I mean, honestly, I, what is the point in having every year? Because, like Burke said, it's a special thing, isn't it? Like yeah. being selected for a World Cup squad or being selected for Euros is meant to be a big thing. If you're getting yeah. selected every year, <laughs> think when you think when you're like one one hit wonders we've had in the Premier League would be selected on the basis they had one good year. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and on top of that, then I quite like seeing preseason for for clubs. Now, obviously, you know they've missed out on the last two now because obviously they won't dingle last year. They won't go this year now. Most clubs, but like the idea that a club goes to like America or goes to somewhere they've never, you know, Thailand or somewhere where these places people never get to see football, like the main yeah. stars. I think that's brilliant. So the idea then that they wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. And there's your reason. That's probably the reason why it would never even ever get happen anyway. Because as you said, but earlier on, money money's everything. Can you imagine the club being told, "Oh, you can't have these massive um these massive preseason tours anymore." You're taking the under 18s Yeah, yeah. Nah, and you think you probably wouldn't even do that because they probably schedule like you run under eighteen or something like that. Yeah, no, you can't have an international tournament every year. That's like I know it's I, ridiculous. Just on that, Sims, I know that's long job when I text you about the the Euro and the twenty one championships is happening right now in oh. this window. <laughs> Do you know what showed me up even more? Is I've only seen one game on normality on actual Sky. It's all on like a YouTube or something. And yeah. I'm like, are you real or what? When we were younger, me and Bat used to watch that religiously. Yeah. It would be on I like Tiago, Smash Yeah, yeah I remember that. Like 
Mezzan Ooze, they'll play Germany 21 to 2009. Yeah. Honestly, honestly, like it was a big thing. Yeah. Marcus Bird should Sweden. be a big thing. Oh, yes. I remember, I remember that. he was meant to be the next best I remember thing he played England, a young England team, and he tore them yeah. apart. Yeah. Played for Hamburg again, I think, and he did nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah. That tournament has to be a big thing. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's things like it's winding me right up. It's like, come on. If it's that, you know, if you can hold the senior one in the summer, why can you not hold the 21s one? Either like they do with the Paralympics almost, either do it before the Olympics or after the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Just just going back on, I think Arsene Wenger's main points were, well, th- there's two. There's one main point and there's one hidden point. It, it was something along the lines of, I know, he doesn't really think it's fair that some players only get like one chance to play in a World Cup. You know, if they if they say they're 27, you know, they just miss out. Say like a Patrick Bumford, for instance, or someone like that. You know, he's on the cusp of a squad, and then you know he's got a chance then to make in a couple of years. But yeah, unlucky. I, you're you're yeah, you have but, uh, no, fifth I, best English striker. Yeah, but I think he's saying much. that he's saying that in the public. But the real reason is obviously money. You know, these tournaments generate astronomical amounts of money for the host nation and FIFA. You know, that's why there's been so much corruption. You know, they're not doing it because they make nothing. Um, so yeah, I think that's the main reason they just want to get more would money. They, would they earn as much though if it was every year? I, I don't think they I would. I think they would, yeah, because well, you could look at it both ways. It's all the time, isn't it? Do you get me? Yeah, like, but for, yeah. for if you think about it, you know, it's the same thing with the Olympics and other sporting events. You know, like a World Cup. So when you when you get that, when you win the bid, it's not just the sport. It it, it is everything around your country. You know, tourism, obviously. You know, infrastructure gets changed. You know, in major cities, they build new transport, all these different aspects. So it is an injection of, of cash, not short term, medium term, and long term. Yeah, so but just I can to see justify why they... that investment, it needs to be a special thing. And yeah, they're losing one of them, that then. I do think, I, I, I totally agree with you guys. I, I wouldn't want it. But I can see that people would still try and buy the hosting rights and they would still make money. People would still go to World Cups from every country. They'd love it. And same with the Euros. You might you might go, mm, yeah, it's not maybe as good as they used to be, but I'm still going. I'm still going to watch Wales. I, I get I get yeah. the infrastructure. That's, the, that's where I they get come that. from. But you know what I don't... Oh, honest to God, if it was every year, you'd struggle to build the things in time. And by the time they you're built, then you'd be hosting uh, it. Then you'd probably be asking to host it again in a couple of years. Which means you probably then have to do infrastructure. Like honestly, it because it, it would come they, so quickly. There's been know, so many ideas about actual no host countries either. So, yeah. what would be happening? Because obviously the Euros were meant to be all around Europe before COVID. Well, it still is, isn't it? It's Don't still get kind of. They're not. That's another yeah, stupid. Yeah, that's a stupid one. Yeah. Yeah. But that and they've said the same about World Cup, extending it an extra month or something, and having it actual worldwide. Over six different continents. Yeah. <laughs> in Antarctica. Yeah. Yeah. Logistically, I don't know if they're going to manage that. Like, but. like this, it's ridiculous. What, like, it's special having one country host nation put on your show like the Olympics do. And like, that's why the Olympics is so special. Like I don't watch any other athletic event, yeah. but I watch the Olympics because it yeah. is a special thing. And they, World Cup have should have, world, have that same feeling. They have the World Championships, and I never watch that. Yeah, unless it's like a big, like a Usain Bolt runner. Or yeah, something exactly. Like that. Yeah. Watch I can't believe you don't seconds. watch the hundred meter golden league in Brussels on a Friday night. <laughs> but uh, well, to be honest, 
I'd rather watch Masters football. That's what. Oh, the steeplechase <laughs> in like Rome. Yeah, but no. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, they're, they're trying to make more money. They can say what they want in public, but it's all about money. Um, and it, and his final point, which which one might spark a bit more debate and a bit more pros and cons, is changing the domestic calendar, which I guess is in reference to potentially making a tournament every year. So he's proposed doing no it club for games ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you never know if uh, Changing it from August to May, changing it from March to November, and then having a dedicated break after that. Um, it for me it doesn't really make any difference. Like the only difference is really you'd have would be you'd have games in the summer, which I could get on board with. So you'd have those three months where it's hot and you you know outside you can go watch games with your mates more. It's more accessible. You know, maybe that side of things. It's probably more enjoyable from the players' point of view. They're playing; they don't want to play in December, really, do they? Or January, especially in this country. Um, yeah. Apart from that, don't really see any other benefits. It seems like just changing it for change's sake, to be honest. Yeah. So, I don't know. what do you think? Uh, but but uh, Burke was right there. I mean, it's, you, yeah, it's like we say, oh yeah. Not, you know, it'd be nice to have in the summer, but yeah, it's over summer, but in other countries, it's winter all of a sudden then. Do you get me like, yeah. will that only be Premier League or are we talking about football in general, like all of... I think he meant all of football, yeah. And Change like, over summer is okay, like it gets warm at times and some games might be a bit of a slog, but generally it's, we're not talking about <laughs> the top level temperatures. Some country summer, you are, players are going to struggle to get through games. Yeah. Also, let's not forget that we are the same country that had a massive debate about water breaks in the last <laughs> during the last summer because we had to play during it, yeah. and it was like, oh, the quality of football is rubbish because we now got four quarters and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's like I don't think we're best placed to deal with this change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. Do you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm personally against it. Also, I actually need the football more in the winter than I would in the summer because. In the summer, we can go out and do things. In the winter, when it's December and it's absolutely lashing it down with rain on a Sunday afternoon, I don't want to not watch Super Sunday. Yeah. Do Get down mean? the pub. <laughs> yeah. It's like, nah, I'm not for it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that idea probably would work in, in principle. But I mean, the, positive, the only positive you say, at least, at least they're thinking of ideas. No, stupid ideas. I'm scared. So. They've, I yeah, can't think of a good idea they've done. No, like, I'm scared. I'm not saying any of them are good ideas, but, you know, at the end of the day, you've got, you've got to think of these ideas at some point. So it strikes me that in, in FIFA's meetings, they're just like, you know, those people are like, oh, look, there's no bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take your pen, write on the board, there's <laughs> yeah. no bad idea. Yeah. Like, there's no bad ideas, right? So just, just, just bounce them off and we'll go from there. And then some, some bloke in the back has gone, hmm... <laughs> No club football, as Berkeley. What about yeah. Oh, hearing, yeah, that could work. The ideas we're hearing are the best ones on that board as well. That's the thing you've got to think about. <laughs> Imagine what's on the floor, like, the cutting floor. Oh, my word. Uh, what, no. uh, what's the president's name? Infertino, or something like that. Yeah, Basically, means... just David Brent in disguise. Me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> World Cup every year. Okay, let's do let's it. Let's float out there, see what people think. But yeah. do you know what, um, what, for the last five minutes, has been really... Annoying, you know, is this Euro 21s? That's all I've been able to think about. Now. <laughs> but also, I've just seen as well, I've just been reminded because I, I watched the England one the other day 
a reminder of the team England that got out there and then just the absolute nonsense they've actually put on when they've played. And the, like, the people on the bench and the people starting. It's a joke. It's, it's like, an, it's yeah, like oh, it's mad. The only and game I, I've watched is, is England-Switzerland. This is the opening game. And I'm just going, how the hell is this guy a manager? Yeah, Eddie Booth, right. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Davis, and you know, I love Oliver Skip, obviously he's a Spurs boy, but you know, you can't play those two boys together. They're just you know, Tom Davis, I don't even know what he's doing there, to be honest. And then like you say, some of the boys on the bench, like Curtis Jones, has not started a game for them. Like, wow. Like, wow, how this guy's playing for the champions on a regular basis and he cannot get into England to anyone's starting eleven. It's yeah. It's mind boggling, really. He's gonna get sacked anyway, so that's probably one good thing. Good. Deserves to get sacked. You get that loads with international tournaments every year as well. The amount of manager turnovers. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah but Big the thing, Sam might get a job. Big yeah. Sam back in. You do a better job with this team, they tell you. Tell you. But uh, no, like then the 21, there was like literally, I had a notification come on my phone going, you you run 21 starts today. No build up. Nothing. <laughs> knew nothing about it. No idea what was happening during this window. And yeah. And I watched the game. I don't, I don't know where the tournament's been. I think it was in Hungary. Someone like that. <laughs> Aaron Ramsdale gets the ball, and all I can see is a roundabout behind him, cars going past, people walking their dogs. I'm like, I would not trust Aaron Ramsdale across oh, a roundabout. The people yeah. in wherever they're playing don't even know the Euros are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what's that? Oh, oh. <laughs> honestly, it's. Yeah. There used to be such a big thing. You used to have like afters yeah. and like five players to watch, and yeah. Honestly, I, I will defend that. There is there is an article on the Athletic. There's ten <laughs> players to watch out for. And there are some tasty ones on there. Yeah, well, Sky Sports point. has gone to the dogs, as hard as it. Exactly. But uh, no, I take I take the point. Um, right, so I feel like we've exhausted international football. Right? Before we do move on to do our draft, I've just oh. seen something, the links with a uh, friend of the podcast, Roy Keane, to Celtic. Thought I'd check out there. I'm more Evan Strong, uh, Potter. <laughs> friend <laughs> of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> What's the breaking news? No, it's not breaking news. It's just oh, he's linked okay. again. Martin O'Neill came out today and endorsed him for the job. Um, said he's... Well, of course he is, isn't he? That'd be said he's got the, got the ability, got the personality to be a success up there. Okay, I didn't factor in a Roy Keane talk. I don't think we've got time. So <laughs> that's not good luck to him. All I'll oh. say is on the day that um, Neil Lennon went out. I put a five pound bet on Roy Keane being the next Celtic manager. So I'm just trying to get the media on board, you know? Yeah. I'm just trying to build Do you know what? I actually hope he gets the job because I want to see if he can hack it. Because, you know, if you can't hack it, Celtic, then, you know, you ain't tested the management, let's be honest. So I eat hack it. I, ho- I hope he gets it. Well, you know, he's going to have to win a lot of trophies there to even get close to some of the managers previous. So, but no, it'd be, it'd be a good. Good appointment, I think. So hopefully it gets in. And how much are you standing to win? Eighty-five pound off fiver. Oh, there we are then. Happy days. Get that money. Um on, Roy Keane. Uh, well, Roy. And on that note, let's listen <laughs> from Roy Keane. Um right, this week's draft, as it is internationally themed, um, it is most memorable major tournament game you've seen. So obviously this is World Cup games. Or European Championship games. Um, it's going to be from any era. Yeah. I, I feel like there's going to be some 2002 World Cup games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of us are only. How old have we been then? Eight. Eight. 
if I watched it on repeat ever since. So, so, so yeah, so yeah, and anything goes. Um, and for the well, to peel the curtain back, Burke did remind me to do a question, and I didn't. Um, but I've got one now, so it's fine. Okay. And it's Roy Keane related. So, yes. between the two of you, first of all, so obviously, Roy Keane is Irish. Can you tell me how many goals he scored for the Republic of Ireland during his time as a player? And we can start with, I'd give it a Burke as he is pro Roy Keane. <laughs> so you can have it. Thanks. Can have it I think we're all pro Roy Keane. Depending on what we're talking uh, about, yeah, it, it changes daily. Yeah, it depends, depends what the kind of question is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how many goals for Republic of Ireland? I'm going to say four. I had six in mind. However, I do feel that's quite high. <laughs> um, ah. Early days, he was more box to box. I'll, I'll stick with six. Maybe he's got like a, a brace against Andorra or something. <laughs> Maybe Luxembourg, who they lost to. Maybe. I can reveal that the most pro Viking person on this podcast has lost. He scored nine goals. Nine goals. Nine goals. He was you know, seen early on, though. Like, obviously, yeah. we remember the late Viking. Yeah. Seen some clips of him younger. He was like a proper engine. Oh, this is a revisionist of era. Let's chill out now. He's no, he's not like Gerard in his prime. I've seen some clips and that the legs from midfield. He was running games and and then he changed his game to God. when he got in a bit. Nineteen ninety-one, he made his debut. Yeah, is he? Does anyone like to guess how many caps he had? I thought he would have had more, to be honest. 61? 70, I was going to say. Both of you are not far off. He's 67, yeah. Oh. 67, so not far off. Um, right, Burke. Oh, no, sorry. Sends one. So you can kick off most memorable World Cup slash Euro games that you have seen. Okay, so I'm going to take it back to one of my favourite Euros, which is one of the earliest ones. I think it is the earliest Euro I can think of in terms of what member watching. Euro 2004. Uh, quarter final, it was England's golden generation against um, a Portuguese team that was packed with stars. So, if I remember right, I think Figo was playing a really young Cristiano Ronaldo, um, Rui Costa would have been about then, Deco, Ricardo Cavallo. It was that Porto, some of that Porto team who had just won, I think they just won the um, Champions League that year, yeah. Um, so Portugal are really good that year and also were hosts and in that game from what I remember I looked it up then afterwards and, I, and I, Rooney was unplayable for the first like half hour and England are playing really well Rooney gets injured because I couldn't remember if this is the one where he gets sent off or if he got injured he got injured yeah. goes off they, Darius Vassell comes on oh, well, the absolute game changer the problem for England was it was a game changer the other way. And <laughs> Portugal got stronger, finishes two all after extra time, and then England lose on pens. But I just remember it being a great game. I love that Portugal team. I love the Portugal kick. I love the Euro 2004 ball. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I love the Czech Republic team that played in Euro 2004. So <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of links to me that I like about that game and that tournament. But yeah. I know, um, that- that game, Michael Owen 
doesn't really have that much of an opinion on anything. He is so um, opinionated on Sven's choice for that substitution. Because he Good. says Rooney, in his autobiography, he says about Rooney being unplayable, but then going off injured. And actually, at that point in the game, Portugal were overrunning because they had three in midfield. And England were playing the standard 4-4-2. And like, he was begging to just bring on a midfielder because the opportunity arose then with Rooney going off to kind of... Because they were 1-0 yeah. up at the time they as well. They were 1-0 up at the time, yeah. So it was a no-brainer come in, show up in the midfield, you're winning the game. You've still got great players on the pitch, capable of scoring goals. And then you bring on Darius Vassell. Yeah, that's why it. they've never won the tournament. Who also missed the pen. Yeah, I mean, you have all these debates still going on about how they didn't win anything. I think that game is the perfect reason, like shows exactly why they never did. Do you remember Sven was on MNF either last year or the year before? He was on recent. And he was talking about this whole thing. And he's looking at him going, yeah, I'm not buying what you're selling you. No. They're just chatting nonsense. So, yeah, I can believe that. Also, you talk about that's why they never went in. I saw, I looked it up earlier on who the subs were. So yeah. I'm just thinking about Varuni. They took off Steven Gerrard in the 80th minute with a score of one all. And they brought on Phil Neville. Oof. So, I mean, how, how we got a job after that, just from that alone. It's very surprising. Yeah. I mean, mad. what universe does Phil Neville come on with Steam Jarrett for that way? Crazy. Absolutely. Good. One more before you move on. Portugal's kit. Did they have like a, were there numbers on the front, like just below their chest, and they had like a circle? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was all the rage. And check, I think yeah. a lot of teams in the IU was on it. There's a ball, wasn't the ball? Not that, there was a, I'm sure it was a Premier League ball. It was very similar. They just had a circle. I'd have been 10 at the time. I remember having a bet on with one of the boys who was going to win the Euros. And like we do it st- stage by stage. And uh, I had Portugal all the way. And from the semis, he had Greece. I was bloody yeah. fuming. Oh. You were better than the age of eight. <laughs> 10. <laughs> 10. 10. Oh, yeah, there we are. And I was still losing. Chips are in, boys. Things never change. <laughs> um, right. So my first pick. Um, the game was on the 11th June 2010, and it was the uh, first World Cup on African soil. Um, you had the Vuvuzelas, and again, Simon mentioned the ball, you had the Jablani, one of the most famous World Cup balls for being dog shit. And um, the first game will be my game, South Africa versus Mexico. And uh, one piece of immortal commentary by Peter Drury Um Made made the occasion. If he wasn't commentator, I don't think this game would be. I'd have even thought of this. But when you said what the topic was, this was the first game in my head. Um, but I'm gonna have to talk about. It. I've talk, spoken about this goal before. I know Sifuwe Shabalala's goal, open scoring, kick things off, carnival time, and it gave birth to what can only be described as an internet phenomenon of a Facebook page. So we're 11 years on. 7,000 likes later, and Cool Story Bro needs more Sifuwe Shabalalas is still thriving. And anyone who's listening, please go and drop a like. Um, yeah, Cool Story Bro needs more Sifuwe Shabalalas, just to recap. Uh, but no, that game, just because it epitomised the kind of mood of the tournament, I think. Because as a tournament, I don't think it was that good a tournament. But there was that moment alone, though, was... Prop yeah. class for the con for Africa in general. Um, the only other moment of that World Cup, I think, was England Germany did the ball cross line, but we we all know it did. 
but that was a funny game. So yeah. that was also up there. But um, yeah, uh, South Africa, Mexico, opening game, 2010. Good shout, good shout. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I'd, yeah, probably the final was at some moment in as well, didn't it? With Xavi Alonso, Nigel Leon. Oh, yeah. Oh, we didn't get it. Oh, no, I, I thought that was a rubbish tournament. But I agree with, uh, Bur- yeah. with Burke's points, though. Also, Diego Forlan was unreal in that tournament. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, I remember, he was pretty good in that team. Yeah, that Spain team back in. Wow. Yeah. They lost their opening game, didn't they? Was it that one? Yeah. They did. They did. They lost to Switzerland, yeah. And they lost. Didn't they lose in the Euro 2008 as well? I can't remember. I can't remember. We'll have a look. Have a look in the background whilst I'm talking. <laughs> right, so I got two picks. God, I'm going to be talking for ages because I've got some monologues here. Um, but bear with me. Stay with me. Um, I'm glad you brought up opening games because my game is an opening game of a tournament as well. So, every nation hosting a major tournament wants to set the right tone. You want the whole country to have a good feeling. You want them to feel part of it, to be good hosts and to welcome other nations with open arms. Therefore, you want your football team to do their bit and put on a show in the opening game of the tournament. So, to start off with, you had one of the best fullbacks of the 21st century in this game. This guy who'd never scored a competitive goal for his country until this moment. What a moment to do it. And who only went on to score a further four goals in over 100 caps. So this guy drops his shoulder, cuts inside on his preferred right foot and curls an absolute beauty into the top ends to make the home fans go wild. All this in the sixth minute of the game. What a start. And like I mentioned earlier on, you want to set the right tone as the host nation. So we move on. As we've seen in World Cups, the team who is not fancied can galvanise and do better than expected. Having gone down to the host nation early, they bounced back and got an early equaliser to silence the expectant crowd. With the crowd and nation holding their breath, contemplating if an upset's on the cards, the eventual golden boot winner steps up a big-time player doing big-time things and puts the host nation back in front. The classic finish five minutes after conceding. Crowd and nation breathe. The game then drifts until the 61st minute when again, the golden boot winner, I'm doing this on purpose so the boys can never think who I'm talking about, steps up again and puts the host nation 3-1 ahead. So you're thinking, game's done and dusted. However, 10 minutes later, the crowd and home nation hold their breath again as the unfancy team managed to pull a goal back and have just over 15 minutes to secure an unlikely draw. So just like the first goal, you want to start the game with a bang and finish the game with a bang. And this became even more important as the host team held on for one goal lead going into the final stages. The player who provided this memorable moment in the opening game of the tournament had already teased the opposition, the crowd and the fans watching at home with a long-range strike that went very close in the opening minutes. Fast forward to the 87th minute, the host nation, the host team have a free kick, 30, 35 metres out to the touchline, not a great angle. So you're 3-2 up, not long to go. What's the time? You're either going to the corner or you're going to chuck it in long to the back post and see what happens. But no, the player on the free kick squares the ball 5-10 metres to his right. And then the player just goes, Okay, where the host nation opening game 
we're three two up with a few minutes to go, thirty five meters out, thirty five yards out. I'm gonna hit an absolute beauty. Most of the time, it goes over the bar and nothing happens. But this guy catches the ball so sweetly, hits it, it bends, bends like Beckham, bent away from the keeper, and goes in top ends, and the crowd goes absolutely wild, and they all breathe a sigh of relief. Really. So, this game has everything you want in an opening game of major tournament. You have lots of goals, some brilliant goals taken, an unfancy team putting up a fight, some fear, some joy at the end to kick off the 2006 World Cup in Germany. And I'm, of course, referring to the 4-2 win for Germany against Costa Rica. Now, here's my question. Six scores in a game. Can you guess the players who scored? So we yeah. start with the first one. Miroslav Klose. Scored two. Philip Lahm. Philip Lahm scored the opening goal. Is it Torsten Frings? Torsten Frings I scored an absolute one. screamer. One of the first ones I ever remember. Unbelievable strike. I remember that game. Um, we'll go to Costa Rica moment, but yeah. that game because um, just before it, my parents bought the brand new 42-inch TV oh. and there was an author on, in the shop where you could predict <laughs> the World Cup top scorer. <laughs> and if, if you predicted correctly who the top scorer was going to be, you got the TV for free. Class. And I remember saying Miroslav Klose in the shop. I remember no, And he went to Thierry Henry. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> too bad. It's not a bad shout, but yeah. He, he only had five goals, that's all, which, you know. Maybe, you know considering, well, yeah, maybe, maybe a few more, but considering he's got two in the opener. Do you know, actually, touching on last week, Dane knows our last week, wasn't he? A uh, week before. Oh, two weeks ago. Um, that game, 2006, Dane and I, back in our, our heyday, used to do some filming. For some yeah. reason, we were, doing some, we were filming some TV shows for some reason. Yeah. And it was us, and we actually were filming on the day. And I remember getting picked up by Dino's mother, and then she took us, she took us to watch a game, and random just thing came to me. That's why <laughs> I remember Austin Frings because Dino loved Austin Frings. I remember. I loved Austin Frings. Everyone loves him. Because he had like a longish hair, didn't he? Yeah, he wore number eight because I yeah. remember that juice. Yeah, Verde Bray and Money was that, wasn't it? Yeah, and the I always mix them up. Do you know the 2006 World Cup? Actually, really underrated how nice a lot of the jerseys were. Yeah, yeah. Were. I was looking through earlier. Visually, a very nice World Cup. Plus, they had some lovely stadiums, Germany. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Can Sorry. anyone name? Can anyone name the guy who scored? So the guy scored two goals for Costa Rica in that game. Paulo one he, shop. He's got him one. Got him one. So I know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God it was him. Brian Ruiz is going to be my Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the only one I know. Them, I yeah. know this guy. But yeah, he took two goals really well as well. I watched the clip earlier. Definitely. And he played for West Ham and Man City. Yeah, I remember yeah. it was a clip of him um, a couple of years ago now, of him scrapping with yes. the, a steward on the touchline. Oh, like, was that him, was it? Yeah, he was a yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know him. What a loose score. <laughs> there we are. Let's go to in the opening game. We're done. Right. I can breathe now. My second choice. This one isn't so much about the game, it's things surrounding the game and the memory of it. So, firstly, let's get, get the game out of the way. It's a Saturday, 2nd of July, 2016. It's Germany versus Italy in the quarterfinals of Euro 2016. In the 65th minute, magnetic eyes himself, Mesut Ozil, scores for Germany, 1-0. Italy equalised to a Leonardo Ferrucci penalty, 
Yes, you heard that correctly. 1-1 one, one after 90 minutes. 1-1 one, one after 120 minutes. But I'm going to stop there and rewind before I finish. So, a friend's birthday party. A special occasion each year. A poor turnout for members of the Ugly Puglies. However, two brave souls step up to the mark and attend the party they know is not going to be one for the ages. The two brave souls turn up to the party, realize the kind of evening they're in for. Then they enter the dining room, see a platter of Jenkins' finest pasties, sausage rolls, and sandwiches. The two brave souls look at each other, no words spoken, but they knew this is where the party is at. And they had been chosen to accomplish the unthinkable and finish the platter of Jenkins' finest. Fast forward, pasties had been eaten, small chalk. Small talk exchanged, shots thrown back. The two brave souls turn their attention to the quarterfinal match between two great footballing nations. The game is all tied after 120 minutes of action. We've been on a roller coaster since we stepped through, stepped foot through the door, and the ride was not over. Penalties, football's biggest drama, and the drama did not stop there. As penalties commenced, a beep at the door, once, twice, three times to be exact, the taxi had arrived to take us away. But a penalty shooter was underway. Shouts of, hold on, drive. It's gone to penalties ensued. So we're back up to speed. Germany win the shootout. The taxi driver eventually gets us into the taxi to take us to our destination. The platter had been eaten. Drinks had been consumed. And the two brave souls had strengthened their bond. And Sims, you know what I'm talking about. That is for you, my friend. And for Kai Lynch, whose birthday it was. Thank you. Honestly, what a night. Like, <laughs> thinking back as well, what's mental is one of the busiest roads in Fairley, and there's just a taxi sitting outside where we watch penalties. Hold on, drive. There's penalties going on, man. Brilliant. <laughs> Do you know the best thing is, earlier on, I was looking to, because um, I couldn't remember if it was actually this game, because I it was so long ago, I couldn't remember. So I went on Kyle Lynch's mother's Facebook page, went through photos, and I found two pictures of me and you down in a shot. So I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> it wasn't even a shot, there was a pasty. What oh, could have been a pasty. Yeah, uh, I mean the real the real hero of this story, Kathy Lynch, what a spread she put on, fair play. Unbelievable spread. Unbelievable. unbelievable. To this day, possibly one of the best buffets I've seen. Um and I mean when you when you when you got a few pints and watching football with a that kind of buffet, the standard, it's just yeah. a game changer. Absolute game changer. She's the only one coming out of this story, a winner, I think. And Jenkins. And Jenkins, yeah. Yeah, I, I argue Jenkins. Oh, also, the taxi driver, the lovely taxi driver. <laughs> yeah, fair play to him. Awesome. I've just seen that shirt I've got on. I'm looking good, so I am a winner in, that, in this instance as well. We, we've both got a lot more hair there than we do. Oh, I was going to say, there's some much better hairlines going on there. Yeah. Good Lord. I feel for Kaz. He's been left out of this story, totally. Kaz was there as well. Yeah, he was there, but <laughs> like football was he, so... So... Did Daniel as well, because Daniel came and met us in Swansea, and he only just got back from France from the Euros. That's true. I also met you in Swansea. You did, and, and also a tragic event happened to you that night as well. Kyle spilled <laughs> over my no X, so yeah, good. Fair play. Yeah. Apologies if we did for it, but there we go. Wasn't that the penalty shootout that um, Simone Zazaz did the stupid runner? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was the first one, he took the first one. Outstanding. And he yeah. was brought on just a minute before, wasn't he? For that. Not sure, but oh yeah, all I know is he 
pretty sure that was the one where he was just subbed on a minute before. Yeah. And uh, so what, came... what year was that? Sorry, but sorry. What year was that? Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Yeah, oh. Germany went on to play France and they lost two 0 Oh, boys. Okay, so my next pick is another World Cup opening game, Love it. and this one is from the 2002 World Cup. So, boys, know I watched the 2002 World Cup DVD. Feels like every few weeks. It's not that obsessive. It's a couple times a year, I think, just when I've got nothing else. You still buy it now? Say again. Is it still on sale? Probably not. So I'm open to offers if <laughs> anyone is interested. But no, um. I love watching that DVD. Some of this, it's probably my favourite World Cup because I can't remember at the time, like I remember parts of it, but going back and watching DVD so many times, it's just brilliant because um, the players are in there are the players I kind of grew up watching as well. So got a nice nostalgia factor. Um, but there's a few banging games to pick from. The first ones came ahead for me were, uh, I remember Italy, South Korea. There's no other claims of corruption not in the knockout stages. That was brilliant game, the amount of chances Italy missed and the amount of terrible decisions. Um, Brazil-Turkey with the Rivaldo-Alpai situation where the ball is kicked at Rivaldo's knees and he goes on holding his face. Ultimate shithouse, love it. I remember England-Argentina, the media attraction it got when Beckham kind of undid the history he had in 98 with the red card he had there and scored the winning goal. Um, and it was exciting seeing an England team because of the players they had. But, like I said, I'm going for the opening game. Senegal versus France. Another African team um, for me in my second pick. Senegal won the game 1-0 thanks to Papa Bupa Diop. Um, from that tournament then, Liverpool signed Diouf and Salif Diaw, who went down as Liverpool legends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe just not in this universe, that's all. Um, but no. They and then France completely messed up. They didn't score a goal all World Cup. And in their squad, they had the top scorer in Ligue 1, top scorer in Premier League, and top scorer in Serie A in their squad. And they did not score a single goal in the World Cup. So my question to you is, who are the three players, top scorers of those three leagues? Thierry's obviously one. Trezeguet, Henri, Sidney Govou? No. I actually, until I researched this, and I've seen the DVD on repeat so many times, I did not realise this player went to that tournament. He must have been a teenager. He got subbed on... Say again, sorry. Sorry, Benzema? No. He got subbed on for Sylvain Wiltord in that Senegal game. He was playing for Auxerre at the time. Gibril. It's Gibril Cissé. He was Leo in the top scorer at the time, and he went as their third choice striker. So they had three players, three top domestic scorers. Zidane in midfield as well. It's not like they could not complain about not having creative players. He wasn't players. fit though, was he? That was the big thing, wasn't it? He? he hadn't been fit all season or something. Zidane. Sure Zidane, yeah. I'm sure I've watched the doc when. That's yeah. That was a big reason why they lost because Zidane wasn't fit. But yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh... When you got three top goal scorers, <laughs> yeah. it's not really an excuse, but yeah. And the oh, level players. SIE at the back. They're a good team, don't they? I mean, yeah, they, Vieira, they had Vieira in midfield, who again. P. Um, Red. Roy Keaton, is he? Hey? I was going to say, like we spoke about Roy Keaton, he's an absolute engine. Uh, Jock F. Um, oh. Although I think he may have been a Bolton at the time. So. <laughs> I tell you what, Big Sam was in charge of that team. They would have won it again. <laughs> You've been corrupted by Big Sam by this point. <laughs> <time. laughs> 
Championships all round, pints all round. Let's go. Yeah, so that's my second game. Senegal, France, opening World Cup game 2002. Yeah, that was a shock one, though. Because obviously they were holders as well going into yeah, it. Yeah, and they were they were Euros as well. So they'd won the yeah. World Cup ninety eight, Euro two thousand. Then it cannot get worse then. Of the group stage, it was an African team that does well in each World Cup. That was one of them. Yeah, I think that was the first year. Yeah. Oh no, because you had the Roger Miller Cameroon. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you also that World Cup was it was. It was a really good World Cup anyway because you also had the horse doing well and the horse was small, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and Japan, they both yeah. had their moments. Exactly. So, like, South Korea went all the way to the semis, didn't they? Yeah. So Turkey, had, I think, were in the other semi as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, Brazil, Turkey, and then... Not little team as well. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, it was because it was Brazil, um, Turkey. Brazil, Turkey, and Germany, Korea. South Korea. Because when you look at that German team, it wasn't actually that great, really. Yeah. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, Didi Amann was one of their main players, I think. Closer was their main striker, and at the time he was 18, 19. Yeah. Was he like, I think he was a Kaiser Southern at that stage. Yeah. Oliver Kahn, obviously, was quality. But then, they had yeah. They had, Munich were good then, weren't they? They had a few Munich, like, was it Mehmet Scholl, is it? People like yeah. that? Oliver Neuville. I remember him. Like, uh, like, wide attacker. Like small and quick, and then who's that really tall guy we saw in the Legends game, Liverpool versus Bayern Legends? Do you remember the really tall bloke? Um, Luca Toni? No, you. Um, is it German? German, yeah. Uh, German. I'll get his name if you want to crack on with the next pick, and I'll shout out randomly. No worries. So well, was it on Gomez? Was it? No, 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 no. It's time. Uh, my last one, I, I'll give a shout out. I know you spoke about it two weeks ago, so I'll give a shout out to the Wales Belgium simply for the same reason as you had butts with yours. Was I think of that game, I always think of us one, the game was brilliant in itself, but then especially now with the current climate, I always think of us being out all day watching it, having a hell of a day, having a day out, and then obviously topped off with Wales winning, yeah, in such a way. So that's one of my favorite ever football games in general, including Liverpool, yeah, but um, my. My pick will be the 2018 World Cup group stage. And I'm once again going to go for Portugal against Spain. Ooh. And in this game, I remember watching this game and thinking, oh God, this is, this is pretty impressive, where Portugal go one up with a penalty, Spain equalise, I think Portugal take a lead again, then Spain equalise again, and it's Costa double and Ronaldo double. Yeah, then Nacho... Some, some left back or right back from Real Madrid who barely even plays. So a wonder goal. Yeah. He hits a cross goal, like a half volley across goal. And then 88th minute, 25 yards out, free kick. And you're thinking, ah, surely not. You know, he can't do it. And then Cristiano Ronaldo puts it in the top ends to equalise and get his hat trick on the biggest stage of all, under all the pressure. Yeah. Three all game, and a bit of everything, two big rivals. But yeah. I think it was a few yellows, a few naughty challenges. Cristiano Ronaldo at the time was still at Real Madrid, so he was playing against half his teammates. Spain at the time as well were were on their way back because they obviously hadn't had a great um, Euro 2016. So yeah, yeah. Spain Portugal. I, forgot. I totally forgot about that game. It was a good game. I watched highlights yeah. later on then because I, I was going to pick it. I looked at yeah. 
David De Gea an absolute meh, where he just gave, like, Ronaldo's team effort just went through his leg, like, through his hands. What tournament was that again? Yeah, 2018, the Russia one. Yeah, because you had the management fallout as well with Spain, didn't you? Uh, yeah, because yeah, because the guy went and he like um, was Robert it? Robert yeah, two days before no. the tournament. Yeah, and they had Thiago and again, big Sam finding his way into these international tournaments. Legend. Yeah, that guy got sacked then, like a month later. Yeah, yeah. Dressed room basically. Yeah, threw him under the bus. And he's now at Sevilla, rebuilding his career very well. And that uh, German striker, Carsten Janke. Nice. Carsten Janke. Nice. Yeah, do you know what? And also, under it. Balak. We forgot about Balak. Two worker. The ball was looking as well. Yeah. The flame, like flames. Yeah. yeah. And it was like different. It wasn't white. It was like a. Like a yeah, it was a weird colour. Eggshell. Yeah. Eggshell. Eggshell. Two of those were two. Those balls were dead nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Any uh, honourable mentions? Um, I kind of listed mine, and I forgot one, was Spain-Ireland in that same tournament. Again, that's nice to watch back because of the names, because a lot of them played the Premier League part and yeah. all were big European players. And, uh, yeah, I had, that was I had a couple. I had Ghana, Uruguay, 2010 World Cup. Just yeah. Just drama in the last minute. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And Asmoa Jean. Fan favourite. We're number three. Rob, <laughs> like that. I think he moved then to Sunderland after that. Sure I remember Sunderland, yeah. Yeah. And then the other one, uh, England, Iceland, 2016. They got knocked out. I remember I, sitting in my room just going wild, going, oh my God, I can't believe they just lost Iceland. England, I mean, Wales, that tournament was lovely. Just, again, I know Wales yeah. lost, but the day out was. Uh, yeah, that was good. Garth Garth I remember one of my favourite ever games, Italy England 2014 World Cup in one of the boys. Oh, at- Sean's house. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. I've never seen a bloke, first goal scorer, Raheem Sterling. Yeah. And he hits a shot and he Raheem Sterling. And for this, to this day, I don't understand how we didn't go in because it looked exactly like it flew yeah. in. Stephen Davis, I've never seen a bloke move so fast. Yeah. Because it was like, yeah. no. It was like because he he was um he got Claudio Marquis to score first, yeah. yeah. But we thought that it better gone obviously because he thought Sterling had scored. Then he hadn't, and now all of a sudden there's five minutes later, Claudio Marquis your pops up with a goal, yeah. and that man he was off the counter quicker than uh, I've ever seen. Anything. <laughs> no, that was that was a uh, that was a good day. That was in an investment fund as we speak, <laughs> getting one percent interest a year. So that was another one that always sticks out in my mind. Also a very good game, two one Italy I think if it is. Yeah. Oh, these are lovely. Should we just have international tournaments every year? Oh, honestly, I, I don't know why I hated the football so much. Yeah. All my best friends hated international football. <laughs> Wait until um, like half an hour time now and I'm watching Wales, Czech Republic and it's like a ball fest. <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't have a mystery question, so I don't know if you two have one. Otherwise, we can leave it there. I'll stop you. I do have, I do have a small one, actually. Chuck the small one out. I was going to say, let, let's... Let's hedge our bets. Who is going to win Euro 2021, 2020, whatever it is. They still call it Euro 2020, don't they? Okay. And it kind of freaks me out because yeah. I don't like it. Let's call it Euro 2021. Like a, like a season. Okay. Seasons. Um, I read an interesting article about Turkey being underdogs. Oh, they had a brilliant way. That is an interesting article. It was very interesting. <laughs> 
I mean, I, the, I couldn't even name Istanbul you. Istanbul Times, was it? Was it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> An article on uh, 2005 as well. Are you sure you were watching, you were reading like Galatasaray's newsletter? <laughs> yeah. It was after they beat all London. It was, uh, yeah. It was a nice. Yeah, guys got hat trick. I don't know. It was really. a good reactive journalism, you know? Yeah. I'm interested. Can anyone name more than three Turkish players right now? Um, uh, I'll so buy. You... <laughs> Tunchai. Rustu and Gore. Oh, do you mean current or any player? <laughs> no, it seems to no, be current. Current of a Turkish regular, so go back to 2002. <laughs> That's where I live now. Nihat. I can... The guy for Asim Lan. Gildraz, the striker. Um, Calgalari or whatever. Calgalari. Yeah, yeah. So they've got history. Well, we'll all know them when they win the Euros. Exactly. Um... Is that your pick, Turkey? No. Could be good odds, huh? Yeah, I might. If oh, my Greece, Roy Keane, Greece won 2004, who knows? If my Roy Keane back comes in, £5 going on Turkey, 100%. <laughs> um, but no, obviously, it's, it's tough now. I mean, just not England. We, I think we can all. Can I just check? Are we sure Turkey qualified? I don't know. I don't I, know. I, I, I couldn't even tell you if they qualified or not. It just beat the Dutch. I mean, I'd assume they have, but. <laughs> Where's it to you talking about? Not. I don't even know if they qualified. They might not have. I don't know. It's worth, a look. It's worth looking up there. I'm right? looking up. So, um, I'm actually under a lot of pressure because I think I've guessed the last two tournaments correctly. It was a humble brag. And I'm going to go stick with my original the last Euro winners when I said Portugal. I'm going to go Portugal again. I think they've got a hell of an underrated squad. Look at that team. Like, it's a spare um, squad now than they oh, actually yeah. won the last from Earth. Yeah, I think it's a naughty team. And Ronaldo's potential swan song, who knows? I was a fan of uh, Netherlands when they had Coleman. Like, I liked the way, but now, Frank. under oh. Frank de Boer, I mean, I watched that Turkey game and... How yeah. was this guy getting a job? He got sacked from Palace, sacked from Atlanta, I think it was. Maybe sacked from somewhere else. And then he ends up in the yeah. Dutch job. Yeah. Inter, yeah. Who's it? Inter, uh, oh, sorry, Inter. Yeah. Oh. And also, they know they've lost Van Dyke, and you just, you just don't know what he's going to be like when he comes back. Yeah. Big ask to just ask him to go back to being Virgil van Dyke, do you know what I mean, in this tournament? Turkey yeah. are winning the Euros, boys. They're in net. <laughs> That's all they need. And they got, they got such an easy group as well Switzerland, Italy, and Wales. They're walking that. Italy <laughs> as winners. Before, a few months ago, I had Italy to win net. I don't understand why, because I don't really know many Italian players. And, like, as in, obviously, I know them, but. If you ask me to name who their starting eleven normally is, I probably could name it. But I quite like the idea of Italy winning it, so I'll go them. Yeah. Belgium, do you see? Can you see them if like finally kind of no. tapping into the quality of players they got? Oh, Martinez. No, I just uh, I, I still see him as a team of individuals, and when it comes to it. Do you think managers are? This is a good question for you either on. Do you think managers in international tournaments are? as important as they are maybe in the Premier League season, I'd say. I, I'd say more important. It's more important, yeah. Because I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about um, England in 2018 and they basically had to go to Southgate saying um, his tactics weren't... He didn't adapt during the game for his tactics. Like, he could see something wasn't working but he didn't change to the situation. So I think that alone, because really it's all in one game. Yeah, yeah. Knockout games. The decision making is more. Yeah, there's a lot more time. You've got to be quick 
on the spot to make a change. You've got to see the tactics as they play out. So, yeah, I say short term, yeah, the manager's definitely more important in international tournaments. Yeah, go on. So you place um, a great emphasis. Right? So, for example, if you're deciding who's going to win a tournament, you think the manager is actually as important, if not more important, than the player. I will do now. To be honest, I didn't really think about before I heard that comment. But now, I, now that I've thought about it, I'm like, yeah, actually, that makes sense. But I, what I would say is because it's such a short window, like it's just a month, that, yeah. a, like, let's go Gareth Southgate. He was just right place, right time, the right type of character. He's not, I'm ne- never going to class him as a great manager, but he was just the right character at the right moment to galvanise England and he gave them a shot at winning it. Yeah. And so I don't think you have to be a great manager. You just have to be the right man at the right time. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's all, if you think about it, it's almost, it's your complete opposite almost because basically, but not that you're saying it's luck, but it, to a point, it is like, just, it's almost like a lucky, it's like a perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. On the one side. And on the other hand, then you've got this idea like Butters got where it's like, actually, because of the time frame you've got and because of the pressure you've got, where there is no tomorrow, because if you're out, you're out, that the managers are actually crucial to it. I think, if anything, I think personally, I, I probably fall more on the, the Burke side where I think it is more of a perfect storm. And I think people kind of get caught up in the tournament. Yeah. And then things, because like it, it just happens. I think you know, because you only have, don't have to win that many games, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You look at England. You can get to look at well, look at Wales. You can get to a semi just by yeah, winning yeah. a draw and a few. I'd say what I would say um, on that point though is I think the better man you are, the better the odds are of you having that perfect storm. Yes. But I don't think it's exclusive. I mean, you can see that with the kind of. Think back now, the managers who have won these international tournaments, like not yeah. many of them, off the top of my head, have gone on to have great club careers or gone down history as a football yeah. manager. Yeah. Like when you talk, when if we were now to discuss our best football managers, we're talking Ferguson, Guardiola. Yeah. I'm yeah. struggling to think. I'm, I'm trying to think. Yeah, managers. Scalari. I'm thinking Scalari. In there, who has done it on both levels is Trapattoni. Yeah. Yeah, he's but, the only one I could think of. Beckenbauer, he did it. He won it. Is he won it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's obviously what did. Like Muller, there's no think... modern, there's no modern one. No, yeah. Ian Klinsmann struggled, didn't he? And exactly. well, he struggled both. Um, I'm trying to think of just examples who've done both. Obviously, you've got Coleman. Yeah. Um, I'm interested because I want to see if Joachim Low was obviously he's leaving, didn't he? Jim. Yeah. That would be an interesting one because he is one who has been ever so probably excelled at the international stage. Isn't he? So, yeah, um, Del Bosque mm. is probably a good one to be, yeah, yeah, they do both, yeah, Del Bosque. Hmm. We'll see, something to keep an eye on, yeah. Sims, I don't know if you've noticed, but Burke's pick has been staring us in the face, Stockholm, Sweden, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's your money. On your t-shirt, mate. You got that's what you're going for. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Five nah, I'm, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my Istanbul top on. No. Five runs later and to bring it back. That's a naughty one. Right, it's been a fun one again. We'll leave it there. And hopefully everyone enjoys the international football break and the Euro under 21 championship, if you can ever watch <laughs> it. But we'll see. Pleasure, gents. Have a good one. Thank you
Cheers. Take care.